Hello, everybody. Before we get started today, I wanted to tell you about Juneteenth and some exciting plans we have coming up. Juneteenth is a celebration of Black freedom. This year, the Stitch Please podcast will celebrate Juneteenth all month long under the umbrella of creative liberation. Inspired by Alexis Pauline Gums teaching us that freedom isn't a secret, it is a practice, the Stitch Please podcast will celebrate the many ways that Black women, girls, and femmes get free, stay free, and be free. Tune in for the entire month of June for some absolutely amazing episodes that you will not want to miss. See you then. You might have learned that the Emancipation Proclamation and Union victories ended slavery in America. But there's so much more to that story. Seizing Freedom is a new podcast from VPM and Witness Docs that uses firsthand accounts to show how Black people define freedom for themselves during the Civil War and Reconstruction. Find us at vpm.org freedom and listen wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, Stitchers. Welcome to Stitch Please, the official podcast of Black Women's Stitch, the sewing group where Black Lives Matter. I'm your host, Lisa Woolfork. I'm a fourth-generation sewing enthusiast with more than 20 years of sewing experience. I am looking forward to today's conversation, so sit back, relax, and get ready to get your stitch together. Hello, everyone, and welcome. This is a super special episode of the Stitch Please podcast. As you know, all of the episodes are special. And today's is especially so. I am so glad to bring together this Juneteenth month-long celebration of creative liberation and creating liberation with Jessica Nicole. Now, let me ask you something. Have you ever met anybody besides me who was good at everything? Now is your chance to meet another person besides myself, who is good at everything, because we are talking with Jessica Nicole, who has managed to not only have an acting career starting from a very young age, she also paints, sews, makes shoes. She does pottery. She is a fierce advocate for liberation and justice. And I am so honored to be able, and she was like on my, on my list of dream episode. Yes, I wrote it in my journal that in 2021 that I would talk to her and <laughs> I she was doing an interview with something. She was talking about her new show, the Punky Brewster reboot that she is in this new show. And I was like, hey, that's really exciting. But let me ask you something. Can I ask you something? You come on my podcast real quick. And she was like, okay. And I was like, so very <laughs> exciting. Welcome to Sika. We are so glad to have you. Thank you for being here. Thank you. Today. I am thrilled to be here. Can I just say a few words? Um, number one, I do not play sports. 
So when people say, what can't you do? There's lots of things I can't do, but playing sports is like a big one. Don't throw a ball at me. Do not throw a ball at me. Um, and secondly, I just want everybody to know that among on the list of things that I can do, uh, one of them apparently is cut my hair and I cut my own, my own bangs last week. And each day has been a new journey into what <laughs> is happening today. So I just went with it because I didn't realize we were going to be recording this for Patreon, which is it totally cool. It looks good. But like I had a Farrah Fawcett just about 10 minutes ago <laughs> and ha like had a whole had a whole like zip code of bang on this head. And now I'm sharing it with all of you your lovely supporters and listeners. So well, very see, happy and this here. is why if you are not a Patreon supporter, why are you not? <laughs> it's only $2 for a whole month. If it breaks down, you know, I know I'm not good at math. It's like pennies a day. And, <laughs> as you know, what I am offering is worth way more than $2 a month. And to see Jessica's bangs, <laughs> something that you are going to wish you had eyes on so i'm just saying there's some real life fomo happening right now that you are um that you are being brought through so if you want to see for yourself i think she did a good job you know? <laughs> that's what happens when you're a free person with free hair your hair's like it's I, true i don't want to go that way i want it's go true it's so true. And I actually, I do love the bangs. Uh, this is the first time that I've worn them straight. And so I just have a real Lisa Turtle from Saved by the Bell thing yeah. happening. And I just didn't expect it. Really, truly, each morning is just a delightful entrance into the world of having hair on your forehead. I, 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 I respect that. <laughs> and um, I celebrate. Thank I you. I respect and celebrate. I really Thank do. Thank you. Absolutely. I feel seen. Thank you. <laughs> so one of the reasons I wanted to um, to invite you to the program, especially for June and for Juneteenth, is because I've been thinking a lot about creative liberation. I've been thinking a lot about what does it mean for, for Black women to seize up, to take up the mantle, to find ways to free ourselves? Um, and what does it find, and, and how that's something that gets renewed every single day. And I tend to think about this as a practice. And so I'm thinking about the practice of creative liberation. And I think you do that so beautifully in so many aspects that I have seen at least from your, from your work in general. And I just think that you're such a wonderful person to talk to about this. Let me ask you, does the phrase creative liberation mean anything to you? Do you have, if you were to describe your own process as creative liberation? Is there anything you could like point to in your own work that reflects that idea? Um, I would say that it means everything to me. And I think that my understanding of what creative liberation looks like is constantly expanding. I think it means something different to me than it did a year ago and a year before that and five years before that. Um, I have found so much power and even solace, I would say, in being able to be at the helm of what I bring into the world. Mm -hmm. So as somebody who is an actor, I'm a professional actor and I have worked in television and film for decades at this point. And I think that, you know, most people think of the performing arts as a form of artistry. You know, the oh. actors are artists, yes. no matter where they're acting. But I will tell you that television and film 
uh, really destroys the creative process of an actor in ways that I was not prepared for until I was thrust into the environment of a production. Yes. And, um, you know, I, I understand it. I get it. Television and film, it's different than stage. You are but a cog in a very large wheel. Um, a piece of machine that you you can't see all the ways that it's working together because a lot of it isn't in front of your face. So yeah. as a television and film actor, you know, unless you're producing or unless you're like a huge star, you're showing up to do your job. You're showing up to do your work and then you are leaving. And uh, as much as I appreciate so many aspects of my career, I have to tell you that I have uh, never felt incredibly fulfilled artistically in the work that I do, unless I'm creating something with my friends. Um, yes. You know, independent cinema is a really great outlet for just making up what you want and having a good yes. time. But in terms of like network and big production, television and stuff, it's just not there. Mm -hmm. And so over the years, I think that my other creative muscles have grown and gotten so much stronger because I do still need that outlet. I don't like showing up to work every day, saying these exact lines, having ideas, having opinions that nobody's interested in in hearing or, right. you know, in in uh, bringing into the actual work that we're doing. And um, again, you know, I, I understand that Ma television is a massive thing to produce, but that doesn't mean that, you know, my creativity shouldn't have any space to go. And so I think that because of that over the years, my own interest in being my own boss in not having to collaborate with anybody but myself and That's me right. saying it's finished or it's not finished keep on working on it you can do better whatever it is it's so empowering to be able to uh to envision in your own head and bring it out into the world for the good of no one else but you like you know the the stuff that i make and create yes i love to sew clothes and i do love to share it on instagram but I would still be doing it if social media didn't exist. You know, it it yes. uh, fulfills yes. something deep inside of me yes. that is really important. So that that freedom, I think, that liberation that comes with with what you create has been um, like an opposing force in the actual career that I have. And honestly it really balances it out. I don't think that I could do either of the things that I do, like the work that I do or have the hobbies that I do if the other, you know, point wasn't, wasn't there to balance it out. Yeah. And, um, and in addition to that, that's one part of creative liberation. But I think that as a black woman specifically, I just grew up thinking that there was only a handful of ways to be black because that is what media showed us they showed us one one type of person on tv and we read about one supporting kind of person in books and we read about this kind of black person in movies and we all knew that we were so much more expansive than that mm -hmm. and so now as an adult i feel like i'm able to just live how I want and not try and fit anybody else's idea or narrative of what it is to be a black woman. Yes. Um, sometimes fitting into these stereotypes that have been existing for long before I've been born, like I have been an angry black woman before and I will continue to be an angry black woman, but it's I am not black, always an angry. <laughs> as a, and because black people, you all have things in this country to be angry about. To be angry about. If you have never, I don't know, read a history book or 
I don't know, watched anything anywhere. Oh, yes. This idea that somehow our anger is unusual and extreme and out of proportion, like racism. Yes. <laughs> That's just racist. Oh, like all everything that you said, all of that is true. We can be all these, you know, we can have all these commonalities in being black and we can also spread out beyond them. And I just, you know, I think a lot about growing up and I lived in a mostly white neighborhood, went to a mostly white school. And, you know, everybody that I went to school with were like, you know, you, you talk so white or what, you know, you don't seem black, whatever it is, I really had to grow up and unpack that stuff and be like, no, you don't get to tell me how to define my blackness and um, what it is that makes me who I am and, and the ways in which I do connect to my community and the ways in which I'm like, man, you know, we all have jokes where we're like, they took my black heart away for that one. I sure did go to that white snake concert. <laughs> what, whatever it is, that is the beauty of, of, of black yes. culture is that it is so vast and you can't put it into one. And it's elastic. It absolutely, it is ever changing. It is um, much like humans in general and language, like it is something that is constantly evolving. We are never static. And that is something that is so exciting about, you know, I would venture to say, you know, um, communities of color across the board, they're just, there's there's a magic in um, being able to exist with a group of people and also shine outside of that group of people too. And um, I guess the liberation that I feel is giving myself permission to explore all the different parts of who I am and not feel like it needs to to Mm. settle into some nicely packaged idea of what a woman is supposed to be or a queer person supposed to be or a black woman, like whatever it is. Exactly. And, and, and I, it's so, there's so much beauty and truth in what you just said. And what you made us, wait, what you made me, but what you've made me realize is that Hollywood, though there's a lot of romance built up around the idea of Hollywood and the Hollywood mm. industry, mm-hmm. it's an institution. And institutions <laughs> are not designed to protect people. Institutions are designed to protect themselves. Yes. And so in the same way that, you know, anyone else who might have to go to a corporate job or to a job at a school or a university or at a grocery store or whatever, there are systems in place that are very rigid and very difficult to change. And so that was something that I was really struck by and that that even though we might think, oh my gosh, this is so glamorous, you know, to do this work and to meet these new people and to create something that's so beautiful and permanent and, or seems Mm -hmm. permanent, you know, Mm because we're watching it on television, you know, Mm -hmm. but there's also a lot of precarity in that as well. In addition to sometimes you have to eat shit. It feels that way. And so I was thinking about an article that I read from the New York Times um, back in, I think it was 2000. I think it was maybe back in 2017 or 2010 and you were quoted in it. It was about queer, being queer and out in Hollywood and how that was challenging. And, um, and maybe it was, 20, it, was re- it was recent. I couldn't believe that this was a conversation that would happen in Hollywood that you could be um, maybe, um, I, don't, I, don't, I guess I wouldn't say the word like banned or anything, but you could face negative consequences. Like, casting directors don't want to hire black folks or this this person doesn't want to um put you up if they if everyone knows that uh, uh, that you are a lesbian or a queer mm-hmm. person like you mm-hmm. might miss this role and it's just, it feels to me like 
that Hollywood seems to have and has always had like tons and tons and tons of queer people and gay people in there. And I'm like, why is this somehow this way? It feels of all the industries and of all the institutions that would be more forward thinking and progressive, it would be the Hollywood. You, you would it's think, not, but it's just it's not. <laughs> but it's not like it's just it's racist. It's really racist, even though they're misogynist, making products racist, transphobic, transphobic, mm-hmm. um, homophobic. And it's just incredible because there might be some beautiful products that emerge from that. That's, oh, wow, this is really great and forward thinking and amazing. But then I guess there's a huge story of struggle about how that even was allowed to get produced, you know? So, mm-hmm. I, so have you found any type of, in your time in the industry, any type, has that changed or relaxed in any way that since people are talking about it, or is it pretty much consistent that- this has been a challenge for different, this feels challenging for different folks um, who might be marginalized in a variety of ways. Um, one thing that I've learned in my career is that I can't ever look for any institution uh, for freedom that doesn't have people like me at the helm, at, at the charge of it. That so until, you know, there are people of color and there are women of color and there are queer people and disabled people and trans people who are making the decisions. And I don't mean a writer's assistant in the writer's room. I'm talking about people, not, not the PAs, the actual people who are making the decisions of what audiences are going to see, what these networks are going to pour their money into until those people are representative of our uh, community at large. It's not, it's not going to happen. And that isn't to say that this work isn't important or significant of course. because I, I know that it is because it would have been important and significant to me as a kid to see somebody that looked like me on yes, television yes. or any black woman who uh, isn't getting arrested or who um, isn't trying to um, raise a family on her own because her husband has been incarcerated. And I'm not saying that those stories don't deserve nope. space because no, 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 they no. absolutely do. You know, like that's all a part of our experience. But again, it's it's um, it's this narrow scope of it where Very we're not expanding scope. beyond yes. that. Yes. And so it is difficult for me to say that things have changed significantly. Of course, somebody who looks like me 30 years ago can probably say yes things have gotten a lot better (laughs) but i think it's going to take generations to really see and feel the impact of what is changing and um for me you know i've been an actor in television and film for close to 20 years like 15 20 years something Mm -hmm. like that and this role on punky brewster is the very first time i have ever played a queer character I have been out my whole career. I have been, I have never been uh, secreted, uh, secretive about, you know, my my sexuality or my relationship. I've been with my partner for almost 15 years. They've been at every, you know, major red carpet function that I've been to in my career because we met each other at the point where my career started to take off. So mm-hmm. I have always been amazed that 
people weren't interested in in actually putting one of the tiny handful of actual out queer black actors in Hollywood in stuff like it it boggles my mind and I cannot comprehend it now that is not to say um we when we say diversity I think white people think we want to see a couple of brown skins not too dark not that light browns let's get some light, light brown, brown. cream light brown. let's make it coffee colored caramel okay because yeah, yeah, that's a little, more, little more milk in there a little more milk absolutely just a little bit <laughs> let's not scare the audience away okay <laughs> it's and, like oh wait she black black she right black. Oh, no 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 <laughs> no we leave that only for zoe saldana oh my <laughs> god she doesn't actually identify as black so so here's the thing that's not how people who are actually a part of a marginalized community think of diversity. We think of we think of diversity of thought, diversity of skin color and and gender and ability. I feel like we have such a, a broader idea of what diversifying a project actually like really looks and truly like. looks like. and um man, I really lost my train of thought. I had something very good to say too. <laughs> back to it i believe it because what you've identified is what, Pat what patricia hill collins is a black feminist theorist has described as controlling images and these are these very narrow things that black women or other marginalized folks get shunted into so you uh -huh. get an overrepresentation of these controlling images and then anything that doesn't fit that is not seen as authentic so it becomes really dangerous um for for that in the, for when that happens it, it really does and i just I just think that that the diversity that diversity has become a word that I hate. I really mm -hmm. has just because of the ways it has been. I think drained by industries mm -hmm. of what it really means. There mm -hmm. are some industries who don't want to change, and yet they can prop up diversity by keeping the same old structure they've always had, and then just throwing some marginalized people in it. And that doesn't change anything, but it makes them feel better. And the reason I think that you, what you're describing happens so often is because there are folks who don't, who care more about being called a racist than they do about doing racist shit. Doing actual racist stuff. Yeah. yeah they don't, they, they're, they're, they don't being like, they feel, you know, targeted or exposed or whatever. But when it comes down to the actual diversity, and because there's so much diversity and beauty within blackness, like within black families, yes. there is diversity within the actual family, you know, because yeah. everybody has different thoughts or different approaches. And, you know, this person really, really hates bananas. And this person, you know, like there's all sorts of differences. It just becomes, I think, so watered down that, that it's become, I think, not as useful. And especially when things get weaponized, um, when diversity gets weaponized, as an excuse for tokenism and when you have folks who can't who don't know the difference between diversity and yep. tokenism yep then you know and then they're the ones that are in charge you know like absolutely yeah. i was i i remember my train of thought thank you very much because you helped me find it it was uh this this idea that diversity you know is is tokenism that you just stick a couple of people in there or you write a couple of gay characters and that's it and my idea of diversity is actually to have a, a beautiful script well-written script great characters for everybody okay 
And then you bring in this cast of people that can play all these roles. Like, I'm not saying that a queer person has to play every single role that's written for a queer person. G give them a straight role. Yes. Give the give the queer person the straight role. Give the straight person the queer role. But give us both. Give everybody the opportunities. Wow. That's what, give. Show me a disabled actor who isn't necessarily playing a disabled character. You can also show me a disabled uh, actor who is playing a disabled character. But like, think outside of this this narrative that we are only our experience. That isn't what we want to do. I think we want to feel like we're having this collaborative process with. With each yeah. other and trying to find like the nuances of how to tell this story in a way that feels um both universal where it feels like relatable and also very truthful and honest to to who each individual person is and what they're going through and that's what i feel like hollywood is lacking all the time because their main focus is making money and they have decided what it is they think that viewers want to see. Like at this point, I don't even know who they're listening to anymore because all, all my people are like, I want to see this kind of show and this kind of show and this kind of show. And yet we're just getting the same stuff all the time. So is it that, you know, they think that they are giving the audience what they want to see or do, are they actually trying to basically uh, tell us what it is that we want to see yeah. and spend all the money on the things that they want to to see and not put as much money into the other stuff that we might want to see so that we're like you know the indie, indie film circuit isn't very good i'll go see that blockbuster movie starring the exact same actors that i've been seeing for the past 15 years right. it's just it's this big ball of gunk and it's so hard to pick it all the way apart because there's so there's so many pieces to it but also to what you were saying earlier about, you know, we would expect for Hollywood to be this kind of beacon of progression and and thoughtfulness and moving forward. If you really think about the history of Hollywood, they were spending so much money to make sure that nobody knew that such and such was gay, that such and such was in a relationship with this person, that right. such and such had a, a damn eating disorder that they basically helped create for them because oh. they wanted them to be so thin. You oh. know what I mean? Like they, yes. historically, Hollywood has never been on the right side that's so, that's <laughs> of that's history. So true. It's like, even when you think about film theory, the first film, was racist propaganda. Like the Thomas Dixon Klansman was based on, you know, like that birth of a nation was based on mm -hmm. Thomas Dixon's The Klan, The Klansman, mm -hmm. which is a heroic story of the Klan <laughs> being heroes. And yep. this film was screened at the White House. When you think about things like, you know, Gone with the Wind and yep. that racist propaganda and how it becomes this cinematic glory, blah, blah, blah. All of that's incredibly racist. <laughs> It is white supremacist propaganda. And Absolutely. so I don't know why I would look to that for liberation. And this is why I think it's so important that when you have the opportunity to create your own space and to have your own creative outlet, when your, when your vocation, the job that you do for money is very restrictive, mm -hmm. you know, even though you get to express yourself, of course, mm -hmm. but there's so many limitations. <clears throat> when you have your own space, I think that what you have done with it and your platform <laughs> is, is staggering. And it is such a wonderful example, again, of creative liberation. Because what you have done is you have created a space that allows you to, re you set the parameters and you're setting them in a way that is really free, you know, and free 
for you to be free and to be safe. And that's something that I just, I really absolutely admire that. I admire that on your profile at the top, it says (laughs) no unsolicited advice. I love that. So when someone's, oh, look, she cute. She got some nice outfit. Huh, no unsolicited advice. Okay, tell us a bit more about how that came to be and why you find that important. Okay. So uh, joining the online sewing community several years ago, it was a huge deal for me um, because I think that I am most articulate when I'm writing. So any kind of online spaces, it's always like, it's how I met my partner. It's how I met so many of my friends uh, through social media over the years. I'm talking about back in the day, like when I first moved to New York in 2003 and I would make friends on Craigslist because it was so long ago that it wasn't dangerous. Like nobody, nobody (laughs) was like using it for true crime. It's so true. It was, it was just like, you can actually meet a person who doesn't want to chop you up and put you in a pot. You can meet people who wanted to hang out and do things. I know. And I feel so lucky. It was a small pocket of time. It was like a couple of years where really the only people who knew how to use Craigslist were, I want to say tech savvy tended to be on the younger side, like right out of college, familiar with Friendster and stuff like that. And so that's just online is just always how I've uh, looked for and found community. Also as an introvert, because hanging out in person is just a lot, but I'll, I'll text you all night long, girl. <laughs> so, um, so finding the online sewing community specifically like through Instagram and through sewing blogs was just a really big deal for me. Uh, we had just moved from Vancouver where we had lived for four years uh, on this show. That wasn't like uh, a great show to be a part of and really without going too far into it, it was a little bit, I don't think that people give enough credit uh, for kind of like uh, having healthy relationships with more abstract things. Cause we think of abusive relationships with other people, but we can have abusive relationships with work with, oh. with all sorts of things. Yes. So that was a, that was an abusive relationship in my life. So oh. coming out of it was really scary. I was, you know, all the things that you feel when you get out of a bad relationship, feeling insecure, not really understanding your value, not knowing what's what's next. So yes. I was coming off of that when we moved from Vancouver to LA. And so uh, finding this online sewing community just was really, really important to me. And as I started to gain more followers and share more of what I was working on, mm-hmm. I had an uptick in people writing to tell me about myself or what I had made. And I think that most makers and sewists and artists are at least a little bit familiar with um, the very common practice of people who you don't know, or people you do know reaching out to tell you that they don't like that color on you, or that you should have done it this way, or that that pattern actually doesn't work with those shoes. And it, it was such a sucker of joy. Mm -hmm. If I'm proud that I made something, there shouldn't be anything to keep me from feeling proud. I'm just, I'm just sharing it. I'm basking in my own glory. It doesn't have to be your glory. It doesn't have to be anybody else's glory. It has nothing to do with them. It doesn't have anything to do with anybody else. And so I got to a place where I was like, all right, um, this is making me not enjoy social media. And I really enjoy social media and I want to make it a safe, 
space for me where I feel like I can come and be myself. And that doesn't mean everybody has to like me because I don't like everybody. So I don't assume everybody's going to like me, but I should be able to have the space to, to create a, a world in which my needs are being met and nobody is forced to be there, but I have a right to say, this is what I need from you. And you can either give me what I need or move, move, move on your own way. Exactly. And really, you're listening to the Stitch Please podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Wolfork, and we're talking today with Jessica Nicole as part of our month-long Juneteenth celebration of creative liberation. Stay tuned, and we will be back with more from Jessica. Black Women Stitch and the Stitch Please podcast are happy to announce that we have another way to connect with our community. In addition to the IG Lives that we do every Thursday at 3 p.m., we also now have a club on Clubhouse. That's right, friends. They done messed up and given me the chance to have a club. Follow Black Women Stitch on Instagram and now on Clubhouse Thursdays at 3 p.m. on Instagram and 3.45 p.m. on Clubhouse Eastern Standard Time. And we'll help you get your stitch together. Welcome back to the Stitch Please podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Woolfork, and we're talking today with Jessica Nicole on the subject of creative liberation. This is part of a larger conversation we're having the entire month of June to celebrate Juneteenth, to recognize the creative ways in which black people regularly liberate ourselves. So without further ado, here's more from Jessica Nicole. Essentially, it is all about boundaries. I try to be very open with uh, with how I want people to interact with me on, on Instagram, because if I don't, it's not worth me staying. I don't want to be on there because people expect me to or because it's the thing you're supposed to do. And it's really funny I'm saying this because I have a Twitter and I hate Twitter. And I'm only on Twitter because as an actor, you're supposed to have a Twitter so that you can, you know, share what you're doing. So I'm being a little bit of a hypocrite right now by saying, you know, you should do it. But it really Twitter is for work. It's and Instagram is for your spirit. That's so succinct. Yeah, Twitter is for work. And Instagram is for your spirit. That is so succinct. I, if I, they love, don't like I love that. You're absolutely right. It, yes, Instagram is so happy for me. You know, not all the time. I occasionally have some some stuff that goes on. But for the most part, I would say it is just um, good and fun and awesome. And so I started to uh, share what it was that I did not like about unsolicited advice and um you know basically saying it is it is the thief of joy for you to to one here okay let's really break it down real quick when you give somebody unsolicited advice you are making so many assumptions you're one assuming that they want your advice two you're assuming that they haven't already tried the thing that you're suggesting and three I can't remember what the third one is. Third one but is the first two are really <laughs> the third one is you're assuming that you know what the fuck you're talking about. You That's know? oh my god. Okay, thank you. That's the other one because I I I promise you, 
if most of the the unsolicited advice that we got was good, I don't think that most people would have a problem with it. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. But it's not 99% of the time I already tried. It didn't work or I know it's not going to work or that's not the thing that I want to do. Um, and I think that the other part that gets missing out of this is that a lot of makers, not all of them, some makers love unsolicited advice and that's okay. You don't have to not like it. It's helpful to be clear about what it is that you want and don't want. You know what it reminds me of when you're talking about it and the way that it makes you feel, it's almost like, it's like the, it's like street harassment of the internet. We know, for example, <laughs> yes. when you're walking down the street, how often have I been able to say, you know what? Some raggedy man rolled up on me in Kroger today and gave me some really excellent advice. Like, <laughs> never. You know, he made me feel really good about myself. Some some people who do street harassment, yes, don't call it street harassment. Yep. They think it's a compliment. In the same way that people who send you unsolicited notes think that they're they're teaching you something you don't know already. And it's different if you're Absolutely. in community with someone. Oh if you're God. in community with a group of friends. Of course, you want to know what they're saying. There's a lot of people on the internet. There's a lot of people who follow you on Instagram. And if all of them were just rolling in to say, you know what, you might want to try a little (laughs) bit of a warmer color because I'm not sure I like how this is working out on, I don't know. Have you thought of that? Have you asked any other strangers? That's, yeah, when you break it down, it really does make it clear how there's a way to be in community with people. There absolutely is. And I so appreciate you saying like, I have friends and they'll tell me shit all the time. And we laugh, you know what I mean? Like there, there is a difference from getting, you know, some ideas from somebody that's like your home girl or whatever, or my partner, Claire, who has a lot, a lot of ideas all the time which is totally You're probably fine. full up on ideas full between, up on ideas right between their ideas yes. and your ideas Absolutely. y'all got a house full of ideas so and then the other part of it is that again not all makers feel this way but i am somebody who just relishes in the process the good the bad and the ugly parts of it there have been things and i was like this took me two weeks to do and i cannot believe it took me so long and i was so sick of this project but when it's done i'm just thrilled i don't want somebody to try and hand me all the answers i love figuring that stuff out for myself i love troubleshooting i love doing something wrong and learning that that's why you don't do it that way there's lots of tutorials and they're don't do this and they don't always tell you why you don't do that i love figuring out why because there's extra space in there like sometimes you figure out why and you know all right i'm not going to do that again sometimes you figure out why and something that you actually can do that's a shortcut or something whatever it is it becomes you being the boss of of what this journey is going to look like and i love that and the other thing and this is like bigger than the maker community, I, I would say, but just because somebody has a problem, that is not an invitation for other people to solve it. Now, a lot of times I'll say, man, I'm having some real tough times with this one thing that I'm trying to figure out. It, it's a problem that needs to be solved, but it, I'm not sharing that because I want you to fix it. And if we think about it beyond the scape of making and we say, man, I'm just 
really so frustrated with my mom and I can't get her to understand where I'm coming from and blah, blah, blah. And you just want to share this with somebody and their yeah. first reaction is, yeah. here's what you need to do. You need to blah, blah, blah. Uh, and it's, yeah. and now I also understand that that goes two ways because not everybody wants somebody to come over and vent for a full hour about every single thing that's going on in their life. So, you know, I think that's two sided right. that people should be able to say, yeah. Hey, I'm going through some stuff. Do you have the energy for me to share it with you and just listen to it? Or, hey, yeah. I'm going through some stuff. I would love to hear your ideas, if you have any, on how I can fix it. You know, exactly. it's just, it's honestly, it's taking away the expectations that you have for each other and being very clear and communicative from the very beginning. That's all it takes. So that's why I have the no unsolicited advice. I want y'all to know this from the beginning that I am not interested in it. And it is, it's exhausting. It is exhausting because a lot of people feel very defensive when you tell them that you don't want, oh my God. Oh God. Mm. I have been cussed out so many times for saying, I know your intentions are good, but I don't want unsolicited advice. Well, you didn't have to say it's so mean and you didn't have to. And I'm like, <laughs> All right. There's no way, there's no good way to tell somebody something who is committed to misunderstanding. You are absolutely. And that's what I've had to learn also. Just know when the conversation is over, you can't, I'm not trying to convince anybody of anything. I do not have the time. I'm trying to get you to respect my boundaries. And if you can't do that, then you don't need to be following me. And that's the end of it. It doesn't have to be a big dramatic thing. But I will say that even though I get regularly very defensive, upset people at my no solicit, no unsolicited advice thing, I get way more people that write me and say, I have not had examples of how to set boundaries in my life because my parents don't respect them or because my partner doesn't, whatever it right. is, and I am learning how to ask for what it is that I need. That's bigger than sewing. That's bigger than making, that's bigger than a DM on Instagram. That is literally creating a, a world that feels safe for yes. you. And you can ask somebody to respect your boundaries and they might not do it. And then you have the decision or the choice to maintain a relationship with them or whatever. Exactly, And they have shown you what, who they are. You have valuable information from that because that shows them more about them than it ever does about yep. you, you know? Yep. And that's one of the things I really admire about you being so, so forthright and transparent and upfront because if the Instagram and the social media space is a space of joy and play and recreation for you, you cannot constantly be, you know, defending and push, you know what I mean? You can't, you have to find a way to curate it in a way that works for you. And you also have a very specific set of values and principles that you believe in and that reflect in the way you maintain your life and your social media space. And that is something also that is worthy of respect and defense and that it's a space that you have created to be free and that's one of the things that i think is so successful about it and that um i think that me and many other people admire as well because in teaching people how to how to treat you 
in this space, you're helping other people learn how to erect those same things in their own lives. And I think that mm-hmm. often when you find somebody that has boundary issues, it's just as you said, they never, they don't have boundaries themselves and they don't believe anybody else should have them. They don't respect their own boundaries. They don't even have them. Yes. And so when you run up against somebody who has one, it's wait a minute, that's not right. You're supposed to say yes to everybody for everything and always be on call yes. and always be yes. tired and exhausted and weary and confused and, uh, and angry and uncertain. You know what I mean? Like, it's just... Yes. And you know, I don't think that it is an accident that it is happening in a realm of, I would say mostly women uh, follow me. That's the majority of the the people who are following me and having boundaries uh, and sharing them with other people and, uh, you know, demanding that they be respected and acknowledged. That is just not something I would say that is generally taught to women in this particular culture. Uh, we are taught to appease people, to take care of everything. Uh, and honestly, we are taught to problem solve. I feel like yes. it, it is, it is. how do I say it? There's this culture of assuming that women will come in and fix everything that needs to be fixed and that they do it behind the scenes and you don't even recognize that they're doing it. So this this uh, jump, this like intuition that that people have that women specifically have in my DMs to like show me how to fix something. I have to keep reminding myself that like this is something that they have been taught. I was taught it too. I am I have also been like an active problem solver and can't listen to anybody. I got to figure out how to make the hurt or the pain or the whatever go away. And it it is I just want to fix it. Yes. And so it is a real uh, intentional unlearning that I think that women have to do specifically to both recognize that it is totally uh, acceptable for them to to set boundaries with the people in their life that they love and with strangers alike that is absolutely okay and that it is not okay for you to say this is what I want and somebody to say no that is not okay <laughs> And we think that it is. I think what you said, you spoke to earlier about normalizing it. I do think that our nose <laughs> are, uh, it is normal to to be like, but, and keep asking, yes, ask yes, it in yes, another yes. way or keep pushing it. And, and, and this idea of no meaning no is something that kind of, st- that was, you know, became like a slogan, I think in the late 80s, trying to teach people about intimate partner violence and sexual violence mm-hmm. and just try to help mm-hmm. girls you know, that girls had to be taught to say no and that boys need to learn in this heterosexual context that, you know, intimate partner violence, that if a boy wants to and you do not, you say no. And, and, mm-hmm. and they learn, we learn the danger in that. But yes. we do not learn the danger or do not learn that it's important to say no for any other, in other aspects. any other aspects, yeah. you know? And so it really does help me to think through this idea of, you know, that, that there were so many times when girls and women are taught like how to avoid sexual assault by walking with your keys between your fingers, like Wolverine, um, that we learn to defend ourselves in this way, when there are lots of other threats that are much more subtle and more likely to happen to us than, you know, than this attack from a stranger. It's really attack from the culture itself and recognizing that, recognizing the messages that you're getting on television and decoding those, recognizing these messages that are constantly saying things about your, you know, unworthiness. 
And so that, and so I, I was asking earlier about the, the values and um, I was, I wanted to mention the interview that I saw you with Sheen Magazine a couple of days ago, I think it was last week, uh, you're talking with Sheen Magazine about the um, the new role in Punky Brewster Reboot, so hooray, hooray, exciting. Um, and you mentioned then at that time that you would not, um, that you would not take any more roles on police shows. Um, and I just want to know if you want, if you could, if you could talk a little bit about that a bit about what made you make that decision. So I wrote, uh, an op-ed piece for entertainmentweekly.com that came out last week. So if any of the listeners want to you know, dive in a little bit I'll more, put a link. Oh, thank you so much. That'd yeah. be great. I'll put a link. So, uh, you I, so I got your website, Instagram. <laughs> You know, IMDb, oh, okay. you know, I, I'll put all that in there. Oh my God. But tell me about the EP okay, article. Perfect. So, yes. So, um, you know, 2020 was, was a tough year. And I can't even say why it was so tough because there are so many things competing for the number one, oh, one yeah. spot. It was a hard but year for the Blacks. It was, 2020 it was, was a hard year for the Blacks. It was, like, this... <laughs> it's so hard to articulate it. Like, obviously there is a terrible virus. Okay. We had a global pandemic okay. that changed absolutely everything and absolutely nothing. Mm -hmm. We had a young man who was just minding his own business, um, trying to jog in his own jog in a community adjacent to his or whatever, who was murdered by two white men, one of whom was a cop. We have Breonna Taylor who was also murdered by police. We have George Floyd also murdered by police. I am not gonna, I'm not gonna even try to say all the names because it's not possible to do so. I don't have that list yeah. in front of me, but it is long and violent. And every single time it, mm -hmm. it does something to me. It sends mm -hmm. a message to every black person in this country. I think about what the value of our lives and our experiences are. Um, and it is, and to do this on top of the global pandemic, which yes. is like these two competing virus, right? <laughs> yes. The virus of white supremacy or as Zadie Smith in her yes. book wrote in intimation, she says, contempt is the virus, mm -hmm. right? So it's white supremacy, it's contempt. And then it's the actual virus and the uncertainty of this medical. And so it just felt like we were caught, we were caught between two pandemics. That's exactly um, what I really struggled with was um, feeling so impotent, wanting to do, what can I do? What can I do? Um, it was really scary to go out to the marches. And I loved that there were marches and that there were these protests. Yes. And I hated the fact that every single person had to have this really, you know, scary conversation with themselves. Am I gonna put myself at risk to stand up for my community yep. and go out there and show support and solidarity? Which is more important? It would depend on the day. Um, we went, you know, we went to uh, marches here in Los Angeles. My partner uh, is immune, uh, immune compromised. And so it would just, and they, they came too. We, we went out there and we were masked right, up, right. but there was just no easy decision no. to make. And that made you feel even more uh, 
without power. And so, um, you know, I write in the article how uh, we're, we're sharing the hashtags, we're donating to the political candidates that we think are going to bring about change. We're donating to GoFundMes. Um, we are trying to get the word out. We're sharing books. We're sharing uh, information with each other. We're doing as uh, that is like the most work that I felt like I could yes. do was with my fingers yes. and with a with a device in my right. hands. And um, you know, all the while acting like everything is still normal, like still doing auditions. I don't know when they're going to be filmed, but I'm going to send this audition. You know, it's this it's this need for people to try and keep things as as if they are normal and and maintain the status quo while everything is literally falling apart around us. And so I had this audition and it was for um what I'm sure will be a really ridiculous show, but um it, you know, it seemed fun. I was like, yeah, I'll go in for this. This could be really fun. And I realized what a disconnect it was for me to be going in, not going in, self-taping. I'm here in my house just taping this audition with my partner for this police officer. I go in for police officers all the time. That's like my fantasy world. It was almost like my career. And, you know, in some aspects, being an actor in television is a fantasy. You're 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 not, you know, it's not real. You're portraying a, a, a narrative, a story. But then how do I sit with this? idea of putting myself on a television show to play a cop and this reality where I'm trying to educate myself about abolition, abolition, defunding the police, uh, completely getting rid of our criminal justice system so we can put something else in its place that is um, (laughs) not so biased against people of color and Black people specifically. There is no... I can't speak for all artists, but I can't separate the stuff that I am a part of from who I am in my regular life. And I think at some point in my career, I had a realization that I am not, I'm not the work that I do. I have to have value outside of this work that I do. Who am I if I don't have this job anymore? Who am I if I never get cast? Who am I just in the bed at night about to fall asleep? Who knows if I'm gonna wake up tomorrow because nobody's day is promised ever. Who who am I outside of that? And Hollywood is built up so that we really put, you know, all these people on a pedestal and we, you know, we 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 fantasize about how amazing and great they are and it takes away their humanity and how do how do we infuse our own humanity in ourselves again in this specific line of work like it's just a lot of questions and I don't have all the answers to the questions I'm good at asking questions (laughs) not great at answering them but I knew and I said to Claire at the time I was filming the audition and I was like I shouldn't I shouldn't be doing this and they didn't even hesitate. They were like, maybe you shouldn't. <laughs> like, it was not, you know, it was nothing. And and so I just made the decision there. Um, I had already sent this this tape in and I was like, it's fine. I'm not going to get it anyway. Um, but how, how do I move forward with intention? Like, how do I. How do I feel empowered? 
And this article came out and I cannot tell you how much hate, hate oh. mail and hate comments that I've received from all these people, which is to be expected. And honestly, the stakes for me are very low. I know that there are activists out there who are doing really big things, who are getting death threats all the time. So I don't want to put myself in that camp, but I do want to acknowledge that it is not easy to... to, how do I say this, to, to be yourself unapologetically um, and, and always get rewarded for it. I feel reward from my community and the people that are close to me, but I, I, it is so wild to be in this place right now that we are in today, in this culture, in this country, in this world, and have people making fun of you for saying, I am an abolitionist, oh. knowing that hundreds of years ago, people were also making fun of, of the people who were trying to abolish slavery. And they were just like, that is LOL, LOL, uh, hysterical. What? It's never going to happen. What are you thinking? What are you like? Are you seriously mentally ill to actually think that could be? People were saying yeah, that. Were. And here we are again today, repeating the same uh -huh. thing. And all these people being deal. like, defund the police. It is. It absolutely yeah, yeah, is. Yeah. I do not want to be on the wrong fucking side of history. I don't give a shit if you like it. <laughs> because here's the thing. I guess that the, the risk is that, okay, maybe I'll never work again. 15 years ago, that might have been something that was terrifying to me. I do not fucking care. I will always be smart and talented and be able to take care of myself. I don't have to have Hollywood to do that. I love it. I love acting and I would be really bummed if you're good like, at I wasn't it. able Let's to just do add it that. You're also good at it. So it's not like you're like, oh, she all right. No, no, no. You're good at it. <laughs> but we have to... We have to figure out what our value is outside of the thing that uh, capitalism tells us is 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 our value, right. um, and that that's a struggle. And it's not it's not easy, you know. I I recognize that it's not easy for everybody to do that. It hasn't been easy for me to do it, but I don't think that we can ever fully show up for each other if we are always putting things like money and fame and and attention as a priority in our lives. Like, I still want to be the same Jessica, whether Instagram exists or not. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. And when you say that, you know, how rare it is to be rewarded and also be your whole entire self, it becomes that becomes less important once you realize that you are the source and that you don't need to have this. Like, you're not constantly all because I think in your line of work, you are all you you audition. In work, you put yourself on the line. You have to be vulnerable. You have to be willing to accept criticism and rejection mm -hmm. and all of these things that mm -hmm. happen that may or may not be fair and most likely are not fair. And you have to deal with that with work. But when mm -hmm. it comes to who you are and who you are as a whole person beyond a job, beyond a task, beyond a role, that's who you will yes. always be. And that's always why it's be. so important to do the work that feeds your soul. And this is not to say that people don't need to have jobs or whatever, you know, we live in capitalism, <laughs> but this, this <laughs> yes. idea that, that who you are is not going to 
change and should not change with the whims of what other people think. And I feel that's such a recipe for unhappiness. It feels like such a recipe for this constant chasing of affirmation from people who really have no criteria with which to judge you anyway, you know? And so it becomes so important to, 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 to honor yourself and to remember as a friend reminds me is that you belong to yourself first. Mm. We belong to ourselves that. first. That's Jill Batesmore. I love that. And that's what she said. She's amazing. <laughs> and uh, yeah, she's wonderful. I'm not going to share her IG handle. I don't think she'd like that, but she's amazing. And, um, <laughs> but yeah, and, 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 I, and, and this is why I believe creative liberation is a practice. Because you, mm-hmm. it's like yoga. You do it again and again and again. It's yep. not, and I know they do have these things, which I find weird, competitive yoga is a thing seems like it defeats the purpose but you know what but, to each yeah, their own like, yeah my life is not competitive yoga i'm not competitive <laughs> I, like this I don't i don't i don't want that i, I don't like it i want to ask about your <laughs> painting because i saw you did a painting of jackie's book embody yes did yes did you know that I did? Oh, what? i'm in the book there's two patterns in that embody book wait oh my gosh yes you were in the oh my gosh I'm so sorry I didn't mean to yell at you okay yes I absolutely that's you and that's why did she just do a podcast with you recently or something um like a a discussion a discussion so she and I had a conversation and she announced it on her newsletter and people came to that conversation and yeah did that like last week and um, this is so full circle for me because it was so weird that we were in touch with each other and I was going to be doing this thing. And then she was like posting all this stuff about you and just saying really nice oh, things about you. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I'm so excited to talk to this woman. She's clearly like super, super smart and very talented. And she just got me really hyped up. And now I'm realizing that, yes, you are totally in that book. So they sent me the book to review it. And I did, I'm in a, I'm in a knitting hiatus right now in my life, um, which I won't go into. Um, but it was so funny. I got the book and I was like, all right, I hope that I'm inspired to knit something. And I looked all through it and I was like, I'm actually just inspired to paint everything. Like the book is so pretty. The colors are so stunning. All the plants that are in it. It's just real, like pleasant, good, relaxed, chill vibes. So yeah, that's so, it was a delight to paint her. Although I told her, I was like, I'm sorry. I don't think I did you justice in terms of like how pretty you are because I'm just getting into watercolors, but. You did a real, I thought you did a good job. I was going through your page. I was like, oh, it's Jackie. I knew what it was right away. So Yay. Oh, that makes me so happy. And then I was like, where's mine? <laughs> I don't see my picture. Where's my picture coming? I don't. I don't want to write her, it down on my. I don't want to okay. send her no unsolicited advice, but I want to see where my painting at. Okay, like, we're gonna have to do a TikTok where we're like uh, doing a scene from the Titanic, and I'm Jack, <laughs> and I'm like, "Can I paint you?" And you got to be like, "Yeah." Okay, get some velvet. <laughs> I'm ready. I'm ready. Yes. Oh my gosh. That was so, that was so great. It was, it was really beautiful. And it just shows me how you are living a life of creative liberation in my opinion. And this is one of the reasons that I was so, so happy to talk to you because you are doing this and you are putting it out there and you are being your whole self 
you are not apologizing and you are helping people in so doing that to learn to be free within themselves. That is what I receive when I visit your page and when I see you, you know, do do talks and see you on lives and seeing you do the things that you do. I, I really do, I really do appreciate that about you. And it is rare. It is quite rare because there's a lot of folks who don't want to risk the benefits that come with being approved of by, um, by, you know what I'm saying? It's just, it's, some people need that and, you know, that's fine, but it's also not you. It's not you. It's not who you are. It's not what you do. It's not me. It's not what I do. And I just really feel like it's important to, to be who you are without fear, you know, and, and it's, and a lot of people are working on that, you know, and self-included <laughs> and also me. Um, and so I, I really, I love that. I'm so sad to wrap this up because I have 90,000 more questions that I did not ask. <laughs> Um, and so I'm not going to be able to get to all the stuff I had about, you know, the projector sewing still. Confused. Oh my God. Um, yep. It's confused. Um, and, um, what would make you sew something for someone? What makes someone make worthy still? Oh my to... gosh. I have answers though. Okay. I, I want to know what makes someone make worthy. Okay. So if I love you a lot, you're already in the category of, yes, I will consider making for you. Okay. However, if you know exactly what you want, that makes me so happy. Like I won't, I won't even hesitate. So when my partner Claire uh, sees something on online, maybe that they like, and they're really excited, and they're like, "Oh my God, could you make this?" I'm over the moon. But re most recently, my dad has joined this group of people. So. I don't know who told, I don't know who taught him about Pinterest. It was not oh, me. Dear. Oh, I'm it so sorry. It might be sorry. one of these ladies he's dating. Oh, okay. But somebody oh, no. told him not only how to save things to Pinterest, but how to send me the pins so I can see what it is that he likes. Oh, my God. So a couple of years ago, <laughs> he sends me these pins and he's, do you think you can make these shirts? Because I had, I want to be clear. I'd already told my dad, dad, if you see stuff he likes it, you know, I can, I can make you stuff. So he knew he wouldn't have asked me if it wasn't cool. But anyway, he sent me these photos of these fitted button down shirts that had these wild, bold floral prints on them. And I was like, can I make them? <laughs> <laughs> Is that a challenge? And so, um, you know, I made him these shirts. And then another year, he sent me a pin of a wooden cutting board that had this really beautiful ornate design carved mm -hmm. into it. And he was like, can you make this? And I was like, I don't know. We about to find out. Let's go. And I made it for him. This man keeps this butcher block in his car just so he can take it out to show people when he goes to visit them. I don't even know if he's actually ever cut anything on it because he likes it so much. So I would say in general, uh, make worthy people are the ones who are like so excited and so thankful for the time that you put into it. I'm about to flame my mom right now, but I made her a couple of dresses in the past. <laughs> And her response has been lukewarm to mediocre. And here's here's what I will say. This is this is tricky. And this is the thing about the patriarchy and fitting into a specific beauty standard. So when I make stuff for my mom, I think she loves it, but she doesn't like her body. 
uh, because it is bigger than it has been in past times. And so all she can see, oh. all she can see is that, that she's unhappy with how she oh. looks. And it is so hard because she's got decades of talking poorly to, to herself and her brain. Yes, you know what yes. I mean? And so my little old voice saying, Mom, beautiful. girl, you know, it doesn't matter what size you are. You've always been beautiful. Like she's always been the most beautiful woman I've ever known. Cause it's the first woman that I've ever known. And I feel, yes. you know, lots of kids always yes. think that their moms are yes. the most beautiful people. She can't see past that to what I've made oh. her. And so I've learned that I just don't need to make her things, um, because I don't think she's in a place where she can really receive a gift without, you know, going down, yes. going not into yet. some dark not yet. place. That's right. Not yet. Yeah, not yet. And you know what? I'm not giving up on her because I am constantly, you know, sharing information with her and, and I don't know, trying to get her like on board with the, with the like pro fat movement. I say pro fat, it's really, you know, trying to be against anti fat, but really like pro anybody's body yeah. that is yours you should, is a good one. The body is not an apology. I love that book. This woman does not read, okay? Like all she does is watch Hell's Kitchen and RuPaul's Drag Race. And it is so hard to get her. It's on tape. Like, I, it's I, on tape. I, I know. All right. We'll she's like, you can tell us a pod, tell us a podcast. <laughs> Listen to a podcast. <laughs> this woman, but you know what? You're right. I just have to. If I'm with her, she lives in Florida. So if I'm with her, I I do try to infuse our conversations with you know progressive ideas about yes. bodies and how the patriarchy has affected you know our understanding of what is beautiful. Blah blah blah. It it's not blah, it but you know. it takes time. It and does. She will get there or not. It's not, or she or, won't. and it's not your job, right? It's not your right. job, your job, your job. You love her. Your job is you, you love her. That's it. That you love, love, love. You love and accept. Love, love, love. You love, you love, you love, you accept, you accept to accept. That's it. And you know, here's, I know we have to end this soon, but here's where, you know, the, the boundaries talking about putting boundaries on social media and being so, um, you know, adamant about what I expect from people. Yeah. It is so easy to do it on social media and so much harder to do it in real life. So when people write to me and say, I'm trying to be like you and, and stick out boundaries too. And I'm like, girl, I am also what trying I? to do that. <laughs> Because I'm, I'm reading to. this note. Absolutely. <laughs> Honestly, yes. But what I want to do is be like, mom, you don't get to talk to me about diets anymore. I don't want to hear about it. I don't want to hear about keto. I don't want to hear, I don't want to hear you use the word fat in a derogatory way. That's what I want to say to her. And it's so, uh, it's just really hard, especially when it's somebody who lives far away right, from right. you. So the actual time that you have together feels so limited. Yes. And, it's and you like, don't want to spend it fighting. Exactly. Exactly. But I have to get, I just have to get better at it. So that is, that's the goal that I'm it's working one of on the right practices. now. <laughs> it's one of the many practices yes. and we, that's what we do. We keep practicing. We keep challenging ourselves. We're trying to grow. We're trying to, again, expand, be expansive, be broad and big. If you are on Patreon, you are seeing these amazing gestures of expansion that <laughs> she is doing. They're really amazing. You could tell she was a dancer. So I'm just saying, because she's doing it right now. And y'all are totally missing out. 
And her bangs are like now perfect. And they have everything has gone back to, you know, her hair throughout the entire process has been like amazing. And if you don't have the Patreon, you're missing it because y'all got to sign up for the Patreon if you really want to see uh, the delight of this Lisa Turtle. I mean, it's look really right quite special. And I feel like the fact that she's even calling it, I know she means Lisa from Saved by the Bell, but I really feel like she's talking about me. So I'm really enjoying it. Um, <laughs> That's it's right. really, it's been like a great day for me. <laughs> oh, thank you so much, Lisa. What do you have? We'll find out. What do you, what's your next big thing? Do you have anything coming up later on for 2021 or things that you're excited about? Um, no. And here's what I've learned from this pandemic. That is, that is okay. Yes. Um, I, you know, I, I would say prior to the pandemic, you know, whenever you do an interview or whatever, you're promoting a project and they're always asking what is next because they want to make sure that it is beneficial for you and, you know, what you do and people can find you. And I remember always feeling so insecure if I didn't have anything that was coming up next. So I would, I would make up stuff and I'd be like, I had a great audition last week. I don't know what's going to happen, but who knows? Spectacular because maybe. Have you met me? <laughs> like, but now after this pandemic, I can honestly say, I'm just trying to be alive and healthy. I want my family to be alive and healthy and doing well. That is really and truly, I have no idea what actual work I'm gonna be doing next. Um, and I don't even think it is as important to me as it used to be. I just wanna be, wanna have some good mental health situation. I wanna feel inspired. Uh, I wanna feel excited about waking up in the morning and if an opportunity presents itself to me that is really wonderful i will absolutely be sharing it on my social media handles and then people can find me on instagram i am jessica is tricurious.com and then my website is www.jessicanicole.com which is mostly a soap and uh don't worry about twitter that's just for work that's right. and yeah that's, don't go to that work account that's not that's not where it's at don't don't go to the that's work account that's, that's not, not really me okay. hangs out she don't hang out on twitter that's not that's that's where work jessica hangs out if you want to go watch her do some work that's work jessica <sighs> yes this has been so amazing that's you are great. wonderful and thank you for being here with us today this is amazing Thank you, Lisa. You're awesome. This was such a joy. I appreciate um, appreciate you having me on and I appreciate you valuing the voices of, of black, black people, but also specifically black women, black femmes, um, giving them a platform to talk about the culture and the world and the art that we create. It's really, really cool. You've been listening to the Stitch Please podcast, the official podcast of Black Women Stitch, the sewing group where Black Lives Matter. We appreciate you supporting us by listening to the podcast. If you'd like to reach out with, to us with questions, you can contact us at blackwomenstitch at gmail.com. If you'd like to support us financially, you can do that by supporting us on Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N. And you can find Black Women Stitch there in the Patreon directory. And for as little as $2 a month, you can help support the project with things like editing, transcripts, and other things to strengthen the podcast. And finally, if financial support is not something you can do right now, you can 
really, really help the podcast by rating it and reviewing it anywhere you listen to podcasts that allows you to review them. So I know that not all podcast um, directories or services allow for reviews, but for those who do, for those that have a star rating or just ask for a few comments, if you could share those comments and say nice things about us at the Stitch Please podcast, that is incredibly helpful. Thank you so much. Come back next week and we'll help you get your stitch together.